This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Shote Mental Health Center in rural Anna, Illinois, uh, is where Illinois residents with some of the most severe mental illnesses are sent, either by their families or by court order. The facility was investigated by the U.S. Justice Department for mistreatment of residents from 2009 to 2013. But since then, reports of mistreatment have only grown. An investigation by Capital News Illinois, Lee Enterprises Midwest, and ProPublica found that in the last decade, residents of Chote have filed more than 1,500 complaints of physical, verbal, or sexual abuse by staff. Advocates from across Illinois want to see Chote closed for good, but the facility is one of the biggest sources of employment for Anna's residents, so closing it would be costly for the community. Joining us are the two reporters who broke the story, Beth Huntsdorfer of Capital News Illinois and Molly Parker of Lee Enterprises Midwest. Beth and Molly, welcome to Reset. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'll start with you, Beth. First, tell us a little bit more about Choate Mental Health Center and uh, what it's like. Um, well, it's in a uh, big old Gothic building built way back in the early, uh, well, late 1800s. And it it is uh, home to a developmental center and a 42-bed psychiatric center. And it's the site of the only uh, forensic unit for uh, the developmentally disabled in Illinois. So um, it's taxpayer funded. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, state, it's a state operated facility. By, uh, it is funded by the Department of Human Services. So I want to get into details of your reporting, Molly. Uh, what different kinds of alleged abuse did you find and how common were they? We found just a, a, a broad spectrum of abuses and other forms of humiliation and mental anguish that residents there have suffered over the last decade. Uh, We looked at the number of allegations that were filed to the Inspector General's office, which is the Department of Human Services internal watchdog, as well as cases that are turned over of a criminal nature to the Illinois State Police. And we looked at uh, those cases that the Illinois State Police investigated resulted in 26 official criminal charges against employees over the last decade ranging from uh, aggravated battery to uh, drug use, um, theft, uh, mostly different forms of physical abuse, but also some other types of misconduct and allegations that uh, three administrators and others had also worked to cover up uh, various types of abuses there, so either abuse or or cover-up. Wow. And what was the time frame that we're talking about here? Molly? We looked over... We looked over a course of 10 years, but most of the allegations have been since the incident that we featured involving a resident by the name of Lane Reichert in 2014. So really most of the cases are 2014 onward, and a good portion of them, over a dozen, have occurred since 2020. So let's dig into that a little bit more, Beth. The story focuses on a man in his 20s named Blaine. He was severely beaten for refusing to pull up his pants. Talk more about him. Um, Blaine, uh, I talked to his mother and she said that Blaine has had, um, is autistic. Um, he has some behavioral issues that, um, and some interactions with the police that have landed him at showed. Um, she says that he has, um, been, 
stabilized with the medication and proper treatment, but as will do, sometimes people who have um, mental health issues, they stray away or, or in their case, they lose their support system. Um, I think she said he lost access to uh, his mental health providers during the budget crisis. So, Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, his interactions with uh, police, because he would, his behaviors would become violent, would land him in the court system and he would be found not guilty to stand, unfit to stand trial. And that would land him in a facility like show. Why did it take two days to even give him medical attention, Beth? Um, it's our understanding that it wasn't reported to um, the Office of the Inspector General, which is required under law that it once the uh, um, the incident is discovered, they have four hours to report it to the OIG. And apparently that was not done. What can you add, Molly, to Blaine's story? Well, I think, yeah, you know, we read the, the police report. We obtained it under the Freedom of Information Act. It was 700 pages. So it's just chock full of details about the four who were accused and others, uh, other employees who were not uh prosecuted, but who I think there's some questionable issues as to why, you know, that they didn't report this. Um, There were a lot of different stories being told to police. I think we note that in there that, uh, you know, they heard a lot of when they went to interview employees, they didn't get a single story. Here's what happened. Here's, you know, who we believe hurt Blaine. In fact, at first, employees tried to claim he hurt himself. And when uh, that was called into question due to the severity of the nature of of his injuries, uh, people started singing, but they bl- they were blaming each other. You know, no, he did it. No, it was this other employee. I was in the bathroom, you know. So I think that part of the problem was there were just so many different stories being told, um, a cover-up, essentially, that it was hard to get to the bottom of what actually happened. And uh, you mentioned his injuries in the story. Tell us more. I mean, he had, you know, we have uh, photographs, uh, evidence of, of his injuries that they took, and he had... Uh, two really dramatic black eyes. He was punched in the mouth. He had um, uh, at least one tooth that I believe was knocked out. He had bruising on his body. Wow. That it was inconclusive whether it was due to, you know, the the physical abuse or just the, the extreme way that they went about holding him to the ground and restraining him. But, I mean, his injuries were were pretty extensive. I mean, this isn't something that was minor when you look at the photos. I don't you know, and that's what the medical professionals were saying. This is not typical of what they call self-injurious behavior. There are people who do, you know, due to the disabilities they have, cause yeah. injuries to themselves. But this was so extreme that it was just highly unlikely they said that this was caused by him, that it looked like it was, you know, the result of employee abuse. Yeah, he said it felt like he had been punched a hundred times. Right? Yeah, that's right. And I we don't really want to gloss over is that while he was restrained, the guy who was ultimately uh, convicted of, of his behavior during, during the incident was sitting less than four feet away from him for the two hours he was bound to the bed. Wow. Well, you know, Beth, in your story, you mentioned that about 5% of claims by residents are, are substantiated in investigations. That's a similar rate to facilities in the rest of Illinois. What makes Shote different, though? 
Um, I think it's the number of allegations that that happen, and we're cognizant of the fact that sometimes people people in this population can make uh, false allegations because they're angry, and it's it's another form of acting out. But I think the the number of allegation points to something that is deeper at Shout. This is Reset. We are talking about Shout Mental Health Center, a public facility in rural Illinois for severely mental ill people across the state. And in the last decade, it's faced about 1,500 complaints from residents who say that they were abused physically or verbally or sexually by staff. With us are Molly Parker of Lee Enterprises Midwest and Beth Huntsdorfer of uh, Capital News Illinois. Um, Do the families... Of the Schultz residents, do they get to have any say? Do, are they contacted? How, how do they find out about incidents like this? Well, we find that sometimes they're not contacted. We have reached out to uh, victims of abuse or who are legal guardians of the individuals who live at show, and, and there are times where they're not aware of what's going on. I mean, keep in mind, there's a, there are people there with a broad range of disabilities, and some are their own advocates. Um, you know, their their placement there does not mean that they cannot be their own guardian, I should say, their own legal guardian, yeah. uh, just like any person. But some have such severe disabilities that they have an appointed guardian, be it a parent, an aunt, or another member of the community. And they are supposed to be notified when they have a guardian. They're not always, we are finding at least that it is the understanding of some of the guardians that they do not believe that they have been notified of these incidences. They're surprised to learn of them. Um, I said if they had been, maybe it was a letter in the mail, but nothing that let them know the severity of what was going on. And I think some people have been rather shocked to learn that their loved ones have uh, been the, the subject of abuse. Mm-hmm. What did you have to add there, Beth? I think um, there is an office that acts as a state as the guardian for um, it's a public office. They, it's the Illinois office of state guardian. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think we have found more more often than not they're not notified when when things um, of a very severe nature happen to their wards. Um, and in uh, in the case with Blaine's mom, I, I'm not sure that she was um, notified, but I'm not sure that even now she knew the extent of the injuries that Blaine sustained during that beating. Well, the federal government. Um investigated the facility from 2009 to 2013. What did they find and why did they close their investigation, Beth? Um, I think they had found some incidents of of maltreatment there, Um, but but the agency had promised to make some reforms. And I, I think for, they did make some attempts, strives to do that. So they closed their case without without further monitoring. So I, I'm not sure how that's going to affect what's happening now. Yeah, we haven't heard from them, but but that's so that's still kind of yeah. Molly, any thoughts there? Uh, we did reach out. Sure, we reached out to the Department of Justice and their Civil Rights Division through their media spokesperson. They um, were made aware of our findings and. Uh, we asked them about why they closed out their their investigation before. They sent us a report, a congressional report that was really just a one sentence that said, you know, the state of Illinois has made a commitment to uh, improving 
services for people with developmental disabilities. We'll continue to monitor the situation. So, of course, we said, you know, since that time, we found all of these things happening. Do you have comment? And uh, they did get back to us. They, they have been responsive. They just said uh, no comment at this time. So uh, not very enlightening as to what they continued to monitor for their commitment to Congress, whether it was, you know, anything or if they have just turned their attention elsewhere um, and sort of forgot mm-hmm. about show. You know, activists want shoat closed. Who are the activists, Molly? And tell us the case that they're making specifically. There's been calls over the years to close shoat from a number of groups. Uh, the one who, the group that responded currently to our, our reporting with the Ark of Illinois put out a pretty strong statement saying that this should result in the closure of this facility and the movement of people into community-based settings. Um there has been a long push for Illinois for some of these advocacy organizations that represent people with developmental disabilities to downsize its facilities and reinvest that money into helping people live in group homes. That is an extremely complex and controversial issue because there are also guardians and parents of loved ones that show who absolutely despise the abuse and, you know, makes them sick to their stomach. They told us this. They also are very concerned and fear the unknown of what would happen if that facility is not an option, because Illinois' track record of supporting people in the community is also, unfortunately, not that great. After your reporting went public, Governor Pritzker said that uh, he was weighing his options, but didn't commit to closing the facility. What are his options, Beth? Um, Well, I'm I'm not sure that I'm sure he could. um, The Office of the Inspector General has the option that they could they could put monitors in there. Um, the department itself has has put out a memo in June of things they had proposed to do, such as installing cam- uh, surveillance cameras in common areas um, and improving improving the overall uh, facility itself, ca- doing some capital improvements and and putting I- I- more monitors, advocates as monitors in the facility. So um, I think. I think those are some of the things that can be done. The department's plan for the surveillance cameras now is to put them outside, which most people have, we have talked to that have been involved in security at the facility says that that, that's a waste. Those cameras need to go in common areas where the abuse and neglect occur. Um, But then you have to weigh the privacy rights of the people who live there. Yeah. So we'll have to leave it there for now. That is Beth Hunsdorfer, a reporter at Capital News Illinois, and Molly Parker, who reports for Lee Enterprises Midwest. Thank you both.